Well, this is our final uh, installment in a series on the book of Exodus. We're just going to halfway through, and we're going to finish at the foot of Mount Sinai. If you are interested in the Ten Commandments, we did do a ten-part series on them a year ago, so there's plenty of listening pleasure for the holiday season. Let me ask you a question. What kind of people are we? When Somalian people first came to Britain in significant numbers, their children went to local schools, and one school in an inner city Manchester decided to put a number of Somalian children in the same class because they didn't want them to feel isolated and they wanted people to um, be, you know, have friends that they could talk to. But the decision completely backfired because some of these children were from different tribes. And people from those tribes do not get on. The well-meaning teachers were faced with an outbreak of tribal warfare in the classroom of a Manchester school. What kind of people are we? Our tribe. That defines who we are. People who can make microphones wilt in front of them. (laughs) Now yesterday, two members of our church got dressed up in some beautiful clothes that they don't normally wear, and they stood in front of a big group of family and friends, and they made some vows, and they exchanged gold rings, and they made commitments, and prayers were spoken over them. And today, Mike and Liz, Lehan, wake up as different people to what they were 24 hours ago. They now have a shared address. I was putting their new address into my phone this morning, and I realized Liz' reason is no more. I actually had to delete an entry on my phone. Liz' reason is no more. She's now Liz Lehan, because in our culture, uh, a lot of women will take their husband's name. She has changed her name, but both of them are equally committed to an exclusive love relationship. Mike is not free to ask another woman out on a date, is he? That option is now closed until death do us part. Exclusive. What kind of people are we? Marriage identity changes who you are. Now, both tribal and marital identities are part of something that's a bit broader, which is called kinship. Kinship, who you belong to. Kinship defines who we are. Kinship is our blood bond with people. It defines our behavior towards the opposite sex and our behavior towards the opposite tribe. It defines our lives in 10,000 different ways. It defines how we use time defines our priorities. Now, at the wedding reception last night, I asked a young husband from this church what marriage advice he would give Mike. And he said, when your wife gets home from work, stop whatever you're doing, make her a cup of tea, sit down with her, and find out how her day was. That will affect the whole course of the evening. Very wise. You see, Dr. Evans has only been married for 10 months, but he's learned how important it is to please one's wife. 10 months ago, he probably wasn't thinking like that, but he has learned. What kind of people are we? Where's our kinship? Where do we belong? Now, this is what Exodus chapter 19 is all about, and this is 100% relevant to your life on Monday morning. You see, when you arrive at the office or the school, or the shop, or the building site, the way you are is totally determined by kinship, by who you belong to, by the people 
you belong to. When you uh, get up on Monday morning and you put the 15th load of laundry in and you change the 51st nappy and you go to a toddler group with a load of, load of other stressed out parents, the way you are is totally determined by kinship, by the people you belong to. It affects everything. Not just our work, but our weekend. What influences your choice, your decisions about what you do on Sunday? I always find this interesting. What, what influences what you do on Sunday? It's the people you belong to. Now, some people, I've observed, join a church. They even become members. But they only show up at meetings when it fits in with their busy social life. Now, what does that reveal? It means they don't think they really belong there. Their people are somewhere else. Must be. So the question is, what kind of people are we? Who are my people? Now, this is our last week in Exodus, and I think there's a single big idea in this chapter, and I want to just share it with you and unpack it, and I think it sort of brings together everything we've been learning. And here's the big idea. I'm going to unpack it. Uh, It's that we are a covenant people called and consecrated. A covenant people called and consecrated. I'm going to repeat that about 26 times by the end of the sermon, so we'll all remember it. A covenant people called and consecrated. Firstly, a covenant people. The story of Exodus, as you know by now, and as you will know on Boxing Day if you go and see the movie, Exodus, Gods and Kings, is a story of liberation. It's a story of the mighty works of God in setting a slave nation free from cruel tyranny. It has inspired many freedom fighters since. Martin Luther King was more inspired by the story of Exodus than anything else. Free at last, free at last, thank God Almighty, free at last, he sang. But we mustn't overlook something that's really very important, which is that the Israelites were not cut loose from Pharaoh in order to live as autonomous individuals who just kind of did their own thing. They were set free in order to serve a new master. They were set free. They actually went from one king to another king. They went from Pharaoh to Yahweh, the God who is, the living God. And, you know, to serve this king is truly life-giving because he's the good creator. And to serve any other king or any other god is life-denying. It's life-destroying because they're not the faithful creator. And the same thing is true for you and me. Now, in the ancient world, you couldn't switch your loyalty from one king to another as easily as changing a mobile phone contract. It was a bit more tricky than that. Relationships in the ancient world were organized in a very solemn way, in a very profound way. Um, They were ordered and regulated through something called a covenant. Big font. Now, a covenant is a legal agreement. It's a contract. And like any contract, it has a set of terms and conditions, a set of promises. In the ancient world, there were two types of covenant. One was between equal partners. It's called a parity covenant. The other was between a great king and a lesser king. The great king would remind the lesser king of all the things that he'd done for him. Maybe he'd saved him from his enemies or helped him out in a crisis. And he would, he'd provided protection. And he would remind him of all these things. And then he would say... Uh, as a result of this relationship we are now in, you will do A, B, and C. And he would impose his will on the lesser king. And then they would have a list of blessings and curses. 
If you keep the terms of the covenant, you'll be blessed and I'll be very good to you. And if you break the covenant, then things are going to work out bad. There will be curses. And they would copy two copies of these, uh, the covenant deal, the, the terms and conditions, and they would take them to the temple of their god. So the great king would take one copy to his god, put it there, and the lesser king would take his copy over there. And he woe betide him if he forgot the terms of the covenant. Now, when Moses comes down from Mount Sinai, you may remember he has two stone tablets. Uh, in years gone by, people often thought that it had sort of five commandments on each. Actually, it's two copies of the covenant. That's the way it worked. If you keep the covenant, good things will happen, and if you break it, curses will happen. Now, we're all familiar with the idea of a marriage covenant. In marriage, two partners are bound together in an exclusive love relationship. I'm looking at my partner here. This is a parity covenant that Melissa and I made 15 years ago. And as a result, our status changed for the good. More than that, our identity changed for the good. Now, that's a parity covenant. It's between two equal parties of roughly the same height, maybe about seven or eight inches difference. But that's not the kind of covenant that God makes with his people The Bible covenants are the great king making, binding himself to the lesser. But there's a unique feature about these covenants in the Bible and not found anywhere else in the ancient world. And it's this. Our God binds himself to a whole people. Not just to the king. He binds himself to a whole people. He makes a covenant with an entire people, not just the king. And the essence of true religion in the Bible is that God always relates to his people through a covenant. Nothing has changed on this. First of all, God makes a covenant with Abraham. He makes one with Israel at Mount Sinai. He makes one with King David. Jesus is the mediator of a new covenant. So it's a series of covenants in the Bible. So here at Mount Sinai, we have a covenant relationship being set up. And we Christians are under what is called the new covenant. Back to our opening question, what kind of people are we? What kind of people are we? The first answer is that we are a covenant people. We're in covenant with God. God has bound himself to us. Just as he made a covenant with Israel, so he made a covenant with the church through Jesus Christ. Now what that means is if you are a Christian, you belong to Jesus Christ. I was so interested in hearing what Vivi had to say there how it took several years to work this stuff out. You know, we're not into pushing people into a rapid decision here at Grace Church. We want you to have time to study, to ask questions, to learn the faith. We need to learn what it means to be in covenant with God. If you are a Christian, that means you belong to Jesus Christ, body and soul. You are not your own. Being a Christian is not a lifestyle choice like joining the gym or the library. Being a Christian is not an ethical choice like being a vegetarian or a pacifist. Becoming a Christian is not a vocational choice like choosing to be a charity worker or a lawyer. Being a Christian is bigger than any of those things. It means that you belong to Jesus Christ, body and soul, and he is your great king. He's your Lord. You're in covenant with him. He's the one you serve. He's the one who has saved you. So remember that and live in the light of it. He's the one whose word you live by. And your primary loyalty in life is to him.
Do you see how fundamental being a Christian really is? It means you're a new kind of person. You belong to a new people, the covenant people of God. Now, this means that our loyalty to Jesus and his people must trump the claims of tradition. We just heard that from Vivi. It's got to trump the claims of, it, of, it, of the heritage of Buddhism and the, even the claims of the state, where the state, the atheistic state, conflicts with the claims of Jesus. That's how big this is. It might mean for you that, that following Jesus will, will trump the claims of family. Your family always wanted to be first, you're a very close-knit family, and your parents always want to be, uh, make the choices. Well, sometimes Christians have to go against that to follow Jesus Christ. You belong to him. You're part of his people. If you're a Christian, you are a covenant person. Now, to be a covenant people is secondly to be a called people. Let's read our passage again. If you look down at page uh, 76, Exodus 19, I'll just read these. These are very, very important words. Uh, you could highlight them, put them in bold. If you had your computer, you could put some of those little red marching ants around them, make the font big, you know, all those things to make these important. Exodus 19, verse 4 to 6. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. You see, uh, being in a covenant with God is not a passive thing like uh, joining a, a, a club where you just get voting rights or being a sort of pawn on a big chessboard. Being called to belong to God in his covenant is absolutely dynamic. It is energizing and it gives purpose and direction and focus to life. It moves the whole of our life in a new direction. And you see this in three phrases that are in this text we just read. Treasured possession, royal priesthood, and holy nation. Firstly, you will be a treasured possession. Now this means special, very valuable, treasured Private property. Kings and queens oversee certain property that is in the public royal domain, but some is their private property. We had a family friend who worked for Buckingham Palace. His, one of his jobs was to help the queen hanging artwork in Buckingham Palace. And he said that there are, there are rooms full of fine art, the kind of stuff that you get in in Manchester Art Gallery or the, or the National Art Gallery, the Queen has rooms full of these paintings, just all stacked up. And part of his job was to go in the room with her and help her pick out which ones, because they, they kind of move them around, pick out which ones they're going to hang this, this year. Can you imagine? Now, that property is not the Queen's personal property. She keeps it kind of in trust for the nation. But there are other things that are specially belonging to the Queen. Her own property, her corgis, and other stuff. Now, what this means is, out of all the people in the world, Israel were chosen to be God's private property, his special possession. And that wasn't to be for their own benefit, because the second description is that they were to be a kingdom of priests. So they were to be like priests for the whole world. 
What does that mean? Well, what do priests do? Priests represent people to God. They take people's concerns and people's sins and people's lives and they bring them before God and then they teach people about God. And that was what Israel as a whole nation was supposed to do. They were supposed to be a light to the world, a community of light that the world would see and want to be part of. People would be drawn in to that community and, and want to join it. And actually, in the end, it would change the world. It's a wonderful mission. Treasured possession, kingdom of priests. Thirdly, a holy nation. Because nobody would be drawn to the light of Israel if they were just living the same as everybody else. They had to be distinctive. Their life together as a nation had to be quite different, quite beautiful, quite moral, quite pure. And the essence of it was that they would live a life of love. There's lots and lots of laws in the Old Testament. You can get kind of lost in the detail. But the, Jesus said that the whole of the law in the Old Testament could be summed up in two commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. Love is at the, the heart of it. They were to live a life of love. They were to love their neighbor as much as themselves. And if they'd kept the law of God, you know, it would have been the first society in world history that eradicated poverty. Such was the, the, the glory of the laws that God made about providing for the poor and uh, fair distribution of land and, and forbidding uh, excessive interest rates and providing for widows and orphans and so on and so forth. They would have been, the, the, the law was set up to deal with poverty. And not just social justice, but moral purity as well. They were to be a society of love and purity in every sphere of life. And through that, the plan was that the whole world would be changed. Now that is a high calling, isn't it? God's treasured possession, kingdom of priests, holy nation. Let me ask you, do you want your life to count for something? Do you want your life to matter? Do you want to be part of something that changes the world for good? That really makes a difference? Now that is the calling of God's people. It is essentially a calling to be different so that you can change the world. To be a community of light in a very dark place. To be a people of grace in a world of resentment. To be a holy people in a morally grimy world. That is what we are called to be. Called people. A high calling. So you don't just kind of walk into this and sign up like you would at a drop-in clinic or a trip to the shops. In verses 7 and 8, Moses brings down this message from God of what God is saying he's offering them, the invitation. And look at how the people respond, verses 7 and 8. Um, Moses went back and summoned the elders of the people and set before them all the words the Lord had commanded him to speak. And the people all responded together. We will do everything the Lord has said. So Moses brought their answer back to the Lord. Off he goes back up the mountain again. He's probably getting a bit tired by now. He goes up again and he gives them. And then there's a two-day period. And, and this is a time for preparation, a time to kind of get ready. And it's, it's actually quite strange what they're asked to do. They're, they're supposed to prepare themselves and wash their clothes and abstain from sexual relations. Now, scholars have a lot of fun trying to work out why. That's the only time in the Bible people are forbidden to, uh, are asked to abstain from sexual relations. The Bible is very positive about sex, so why, why here? 
Well, we don't really know the answer, but it may well be to do with focusing the mind. Sex can be very distracting. And focusing the mind on something really important. I once had a friend who was a boxer, and he told me that in the lead-up, run-up to a fight, boxers do not have sex. They are focused on the fight, on the big moment when they step into the ring and have to acquit themselves. Absolute focus, no distraction. Everything is committed to that time because it's so important. And I wonder if that's what's going on here. Wash your clothes, get ready, get clean, and focus. We're going to make the covenant with God. And that means that they would be a consecrated people. Consecrated means prepared, but it also means sacred. Now, what does it mean to be a consecrated people? I think some of it can be captured by the preparations for a wedding day. Yesterday morning, although we weren't getting married, all sorts of preparations needed to be made in our house. Kids had to be washed, hair combed, clothed in reasonable clothes, dressed and in their right mind, ready for the wedding. I had to get my suit out, check that it wasn't too creased. We were all getting ready, and then a phone call came through from a staff member. I won't name any names. Conversation went a bit like this. Good day. <laughs> and now I'm learning to speak Australian, so I replied, Good day, mate. Do we have to wear a suit today? Yes, you do. Oh, man. <laughs> Australians wouldn't give a castle main 4X for wearing a suit. So, well, you could tell them that you're Australian and you don't wear suits. Oh, it's all right, it's all right, I'll wear one. <laughs> Preparation's going on all over Manchester. We're all getting ready. Next thing I know, another staff member is brought to my house by two women. I'm not going to name any names. Hey, what up? <laughs> you have a jacket I could borrow. <laughs> yeah, I think I do. I'm okay for pants. Good. I, I wasn't going to lend you any of those. So the staff team were getting ready, consecrating themselves to look half decent at the wedding. Some people arrived with chins newly exposed to the winter air, having shaved off months of beard growth. Some people had showered for the first time in over a week. Some hair had been combed. Now, the covenant parties particularly have to get ready. Liz, to quote the great John Chapman, looked truly scrumptious. <laughs> they got ready for the big moment. Now, what did the Israelites have to do? Well, probably perform some rituals, wash their clothes, focus. You see, God is so holy that you don't just show up and stroll into his presence with dirt under your fingernails. Scruffy, unprepared. You wouldn't go and see the queen like that. We're talking about the sovereign of the universe. In fact, God is so holy that it's not even safe to go near him. It's a very interesting thing that the people mustn't touch the mountain. The priests can go partway up, but only one person can go to the top and meet with God. It's only one person is safe for is Moses, the, the representative of the people. It's just not safe. If you're a skeptic or an atheist, you may, have, you may have thought or you may have said, I wish I could just see God. I wish I could meet him. You know, that might, might solve my doubts. I, I used to say that. 
Actually, the one time in the Bible God really does come, do you know what? People want him to go away. They can't handle it. It's too overwhelming. A number of years ago, my wife persuaded me to go on a camping trip in uh, North Carolina, in the south of the United States. We're not outdoors people. We didn't know what we were doing. Fortunately, somebody lent us an, an axe and a cooker and various things. We bought a tent for $70 from Walmart, which we thought was a good deal, until the storm hit. Now, we'd found this campsite. It, was the, it, was, it was a, looked really nice. And in fact, there was one space that was free. We pitched our tent there under some big trees. You know you're not supposed to camp under trees? I found out later. I was lying there in the tent and a storm hit. I've never seen anything like this in this country. A, a furious storm. It was like some giants were out there breaking rocks against each other's heads. Thunder and lightning. Very, very frightening. <laughs> I was lying there and, and this thing was kicking off around us. And I felt absolutely terrified. No exaggeration. And I realized that this is why you're not supposed to camp under trees. Yeah, what if one of these trees gets hit by lightning and we are under it in our $70 tent? It's in my sleeping bag. I actually, I wanted to cry. You know, I wanted my mum. I was terrified. I was trying to be the man of the family. The only place to go was the car. Try getting three kids into a car in the middle of the night in a storm. Just not good. You see, God appears and he comes. He wants to move in. He wants to be with them. And he comes in the, in the safest way possible. And the mountain's on fire and there's smoke billowing up. And Moses is going up there alone. And he, don't touch it. This isn't God trying to scare people. It's just who he is. He's that great. He's that holy. Only one person can go into his presence. And later on, this same kind of gradation is, is patterned in the temple. There's an outer court, and then there's a holy place, and then there's a most holy place. Based on that mountain. Go near him. You've got to be consecrated, ready, washed, focused. So what kind of people are we? Covenant people, called and consecrated. You see, these Israelites were the most privileged people in the world. Not only were they liberated from slavery, they were called to be a light to the world. They were set apart for a special task. They were told, you are my treasure possession. You are regal priests. You were serving Pharaoh in drudgery. Now you're serving God as kings. And that meant they were to be a community of light that changed the world. But something went wrong. Something went badly wrong. They broke the covenant. They broke the covenant. They did not keep their side of the bargain. They broke it again and again over hundreds of years. And God, like a forgiving spouse, kept welcoming them back and they would break it again. They were not faithful to God in an exclusive love relationship. They cheated on him with lots of idols. They were not holy. They behaved just like the other people around them. They copied the lifestyle and values of their neighbors rather than the word of God. And the deeper problem in, in all of this was that they didn't really want to change. At the heart level, they didn't want to be part of God's people, and so they were, for the most part, totally unsuited to their high calling. And they eventually did experience the covenant curses, and they were sent into exile, and most of the tribes were lost. 
And that is where we're going to leave Israel, at the foot of Mount Sinai. Paused on the brink of a great adventure. The one people in all the world who'd seen God's care and power exercised on their behalf. The one people God said, I want to move in with you. The people given the greatest commission. Tantalizing, peering into the future. A future that could have been incredibly great as they lived as God's covenant people and changed the world. But it was not to be. But is that it? Is that it? You know it isn't. That is not. God had planned something that would take those same elements, the covenant people called and consecrated, and bring them together and transpose them into a much more majestic symphony. God had something planned that would bring from the chrysalis of the old covenant a beautiful butterfly, the international church of Jesus Christ. There is great continuity here. We're still a covenant people. We're still called. We're still consecrated. But what God has done in Jesus is breathtaking. We are part of a new and better covenant, Hebrews says. Do you need sacrifice to take away your sin? You have it. Our sacrifice is better. The blood of Jesus Christ shed once for all. You don't need any more sacrifices. Do you need a high priest to go before you into the presence of God? We do have the great high priest, Jesus our apostle and high priest. Do we need a word to live by? We have the word of Jesus faithfully given to us through the apostles and prophets. And you know, during his life on earth, Jesus went up a mountain on one occasion with some of his closest followers and what they saw there terrified them because they saw Moses and Elijah appear and talk with Jesus. And then a cloud came down, just like the cloud on that Mount Sinai. The cloud representing the presence of God, shielding from view. And God spoke again, only this time it wasn't a voice that terrified, it was a voice that encouraged. And it said, this is my beloved son, listen to him. Listen to him. We don't come to a mountain that is covered with smoke and gloom and dark and we're terrified. We come to the Mount of Transfiguration where Jesus' face shone and the God of burning holiness came again to live with his people. God commissions us now to bless the whole world. He wants to move in with people. He wants to live in us. And he does it not by making a journey to a mountain that's covered in fire and smoke. He does it not in fire, but in darkness. In the darkness of a virgin's womb. He comes again. The God of burning holiness comes to move in. To bless the people and commission them to change the world. And so Jesus Christ solves the problem. He lived a life that we couldn't live, a life of beauty and holiness. He walked amid sin and sickness, and he healed and cleansed it, and he kept the covenant with God. And therefore, the church of Jesus is now able to stand in the presence of God and to be a light to the nations, but only if we live faithful to our calling to be a regal priesthood and a holy nation. So if you're a Christian here today, What kind of person are you? A covenant people, called and consecrated. So back to Monday morning, back to the the laundry and nappies and the toddler group, back to the building site, the office, the school, the lecture hall. What does all this mean for you and me to be a covenant people, called, consecrated? 
You know, I've been struggling to pin this down. I can't get it in, in, a, in a few words. I can't get it in a, in a sound bite. Because this affects everything. It affects everything. Every single thing you do is a reflection of who you are, whether you're part of God's people or not. Think about the tribe. If, you're, if you belong to the tribe, everything you do reflects on the tribe. And your encounter with others is shaped by how you think of yourself. You're part of God's covenant people now. Everything you do reflects on him. Think about the marriage illustration. You belong to somebody else now. Your thoughts, your actions should relate to their needs and their priorities. The way we relate to the world will be completely transformed if we realize, if we embrace the fact that we are God's covenant people, called, consecrated. If you're running a home and raising kids, if you're going out to work, if you're in retirement, if you're in relationships with people, your use of time and skills, our community groups here at Grace Church, our groups are to be a covenant people, called, consecrated to bless Mossside, Fallowfield, Rusham, Withington, Longside, West Didsbury, and beyond. Because this is who we've been called to be. And because through his word we've come to know the Lord. And to know him is to have life. Let's pray, shall we? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you've showered privilege on us because you've spoken to us. We were very far from you. We were lost and we didn't even know it. We were blind and we couldn't see it. We were aliens and strangers, and you brought us near. And you did so by the precious blood of Jesus Christ, your Son, our Saviour. And you've given us a word to live by. So we thank you for speaking to us, and we pray now, help us to live for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.